DJ, PK, and Jay Drew joining us. BYU football writer for the Deseret News. Jay, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good to be on today. Thanks for coming on. We wanted to talk to you about the story you wrote about uh, a decade of independence at BYU and the impact on the program. And as soon as I teased that this morning, uh, PK said, well, it's been nine years, but we'll just roll with it. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was mostly it was supposed to be about uh, – BYU football independent or BYU in the last decade how they did because obviously 2010 they weren't independent but that was part of the decade so thanks PK for catching that <laughs> uh, but nine out of ten years you kind of got to go with it I'm, I'm okay with it you know and I and I read uh, yours and Dick and Jeff's piece pieces <clears throat> and, and my thought is you know I see where you guys are going with all that stuff and for me my individual thought is. Even though it's been nine years, it's still not a long enough sample size because the first couple years, you had Tom had to throw together schedules, speaking of Tom Homo, and so they weren't very good. And then he started getting some bigger name teams, but a lot of those games he had to start with, we'll play at your place first. So we're getting return visits now. Right, so the schedule you like like this year the home schedule was pretty good, and then one of the knocks was well you lose a couple games and November becomes useless and meaningless and all that. Well, you look at November's schedule next year, and they've got Boise State, San Diego State, Stanford, and I think what one of those is it North Alabama, South Alabama, uh, North Alabama, yeah. yeah. So three out of the four games are against brand name programs for sure. Certainly no worse than what they played when they were in the WAC and Mountain West. So my thought is that there's two divisions of independence before when they first got it and then now. And so at least schedule-wise, to me, in my mind, this is very attractive. Now, I realize it's not exclusively based on schedule, but at least scheduling-wise, if this is the way it's going to be for the next whatever period of independence, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I I think if the next whatever, like you said, five years continues like the schedule, like it was in even this last year in November, you know, they did have San Diego State to kind of anchor it uh, at the end. It was better than say a New Mexico State or yeah. or a uh, a UMass or or, or or something like that. Uh, the year they had the bad year, they finished at Hawaii, which. Uh, playing at Hawaii is not a cupcake, yeah. as they learn in a bowl game. So, um, yeah, uh, this coming year, they're literally there's one gimme really on the schedule, uh, and that's uh, like you said, North Alabama. Every other game is uh, they could they could lose easily, and so um, yeah, I think you got to tip your hat to to Tom Homo, who has when he when they went independence, he said it was going to be rough the first few years, and and he was right. But uh, I think he's pretty much delivered on what he said, uh, that, that they would get some of these teams to come into Lavelle Edwards Stadium and, and have a pretty good schedule. It seems like if you go through the decades, there was a time when BYU got all of the best LDS talent, and they got all of the best in-state talent. And sometimes those two overlap. A lot of times they did, but a lot of times they didn't also. But they did very well in both of those. And then you go each decade, and you see it kind of chipped away. And now here, the last few years, we're looking where, well, the top ten kids in the state, they're getting one or two of them. 
How much of that do you think is because BYU went independent? And how much do you think that's technology changing? It's easy for kids to go away from home. The youths go into the Pac-12, so the youths are getting better kids. And the rest of the Pac-12 is coming in recruiting, too. And BYU doesn't control any of that. Yeah, you know, all of the above. In my piece that you guys referenced, I said that I kind of build it on the whole Utah going to the Pac-12. That, in my mind, was the biggest detriment or the biggest obstacle to BYU's progression. And and, be, and people would say, well, why? And it's it, it, recruiting. Absolutely. You, uh, if BYU and Utah go head-to-head for a recruit in the last five, six years that I've been paying really close attention to it, um, Utah generally gets that player. They've even gone into Utah County and got, um, you know, Britton Covey and um, uh, who's the Hansen. quarterback slash linebacker from American Ch- Fork? Chase uh, Hansen. Yeah, Chase Hansen. And just, you can go just on and on. And, and uh, Isaac Asiata, uh and just, you can just, be, uh, Utah's just winning those battles or out of state teams are winning those battles. Just recently, uh, Virginia got a kid, a four-star kid from Colorado whose father played at BYU, whose brother is currently at BYU, and he goes to Virginia. And uh, obviously an LDS kid who's going to go on a mission first. But if BYU wants to compete with the Power 5 teams on their schedule, they've got to somehow reverse that trend and get these these LDS kids uh, at least a good portion of them going back to BYU. And right now that's not happening. So I agree completely on that, and I want to delve in beyond Utah because that's just not going to change. They're always going to be there. The conference, speaking of the Pac-12, is always going to come into Utah. We know that. David Shaw looked me in the eye at Pac-12 Media Day and told me, he says, you tell those people that I'm coming to Utah, and I'm coming to Utah often. And I took, I took a step back. It made me nervous the way he said it. I mean, he was dead serious. But you look at Bronco. Uh, who did a masterful job at BYU when they were in the Mountain West his second year, and you referenced it. You know, he starts it off with 11 and 2, and he goes over a four year period from 06 to 09. He goes, what, 49 or 43 and 8 or 9 or something, you know, just really, really big time football. And they won three out of the four bowl games they played in against Pac 12 competition. So things were great. Well, then. Once they get into the heart of the independence, you know, eight and five was the norm. He uh, finished it up with a nine and four. And so we see Kalani, uh, you know, with a nine and four and an eight, uh, you know, that's the eight and five basically is the top watermark. So since it's not going to change that they're going to get out on a conference, or Utah's going to get out of the Pac-12, what can BYU do? Because I do think it boils down to recruiting to get back some of these kids because I think that's the biggest difference. And it, is it just simply that it is about being in a conference and kids want to play for a conference title? Or what is it? You know, I've thought about that a lot. And I think somehow, some way, they've got to put together a really special season. I think if... They go. They put together a ten and two, eleven and one, um, and you know, and win some of these games and don't lose to the teams that they should beat, which was a problem this past year. Uh, I don't know of any other way to really kind of jump back into the whole conversation. Um, obviously, Utah is the more popular team in the state right now, 
um, and I put that in the article. I think that's probably been the case for the past 10 years. And somehow BYU has got to get that ground back. I, I don't know if it's possible, to be totally honest with you, but the the best way to do that, I think, is is simply to win. Um, if that's possible, I don't know, based on the, I mean, this, this last recruiting class that came in, they're still again in the 70s um, that was signed in December. Of course, more will sign in February, but um, somehow, some way, they've got to get um, back in the, you know, more wins. One of the things Tom Homo said in the uh, Q&A that we ran with him, we submitted some questions to him via email, and he, he answered them. Um, one of the things he said is we've got to get uh, difference makers. we got to get these some of these guys that can just absolutely take over a game, uh, you know, big playmakers and game breakers and kind of like a Taysom Hill, to be honest with you, a, a generational-type player um, that can kind of turn the tide. And, and they haven't really been able to do that in the last few recruiting classes. So I agree they have to do that, but it's not just a question of beating out the Utes and their popularity. Washington took a really good player out of uh, Utah County. Washington State's taken a couple of good in-state players, including a quarterback out of Lehigh. Uh, Oregon seems to decide who they want every year and come in and grab a guy. And even nationally, LSU comes in and takes a kid out of East High School. So we can all say BYU should do better, but it does seem like a new era. More teams are recruiting nationally. PK can go chapter and verse, and all the kids leave in Arizona. And I'm not seeing uh, USC, Texas, and Florida State dominating in their backyards. It seems like a different era, and we can talk about how it was 20 years ago, but it's just not like that for anybody. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, the day and age of the recruiting services, social media, um, easier travel, uh, all of that, uh, you know, lends itself to, to these kids having a lot of uh, options. And uh, and as you said before with the Stanford coach, Utah is not a secret by any stretch anymore. Almost every coach, even Nick Saban, has had Utah on his radar. So uh, Michigan State has been in here getting kids and, all, you know, all over the country. So obviously Virginia just got one. He's not from Utah, he's from Colorado, but he's a – quasi utah kid uh so to speak so yeah i i honestly don't know the answer uh other than if byu could possibly get into a p5 and and that's probably the next big step that they would have to take and we could probably debate that forever too is if if that'll ever happen i'm kind of skeptical based on kind of the the social or the the political climate of the united states right now um, and BYU kind of being an outlier as, that, as far as that's concerned. So, um, yeah, I think it's uh, definitely Tom Homo has his work cut out for him and, and really Kalani Sataki and all the BYU administration to, to see if they can get over the hump. But uh, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult. How much do you, three, do you think the breakthrough and the progress of allowing caffeinated drinks on campus will make a difference? <laughs> Oh, huge! You cannot understate that. I think that's on the that's every recruit I've talked to has mentioned it. <laughs> Don't you think? On a serious note, more importantly, that other coaches can't negative recruit with that. It's a weird place. You can't even drink a Coke. You can't drink a Pepsi. You've got to go, you know, caffeine free. It's at least it's one thing they can't say that makes people seem, you know, really out there. 
Yeah, one in about, what, 50? <laughs> so, one down, yeah, 49. I mean, I, I'm sure they'll find other things. Facial facial hair and the length of your shorts next. <clears throat> yeah, and, and uh, obviously uh, one thing I've been hearing lately is that some coaches are bringing up uh, BYU's academic, uh, kind of their stringency academic-wise and telling kids that, that uh, you better be – uh, very, very good, you know, in the classroom if, you, if you're going to survive at BYU. I've heard that has uh, kind of come up lately as, as uh, maybe a negative recruiting tactic to kind of scare kids away from BYU. Maybe that's been going on for a while. I know PK might know more than me, but uh, that's, uh, lately that's kind of one of the things I've heard. Well, I think generally it's a disadvantage, but you have to zero in and get these kids that you've been able to get, and that's where it's been hurting them, as DJ referenced earlier, that there's a number of kids that they used to be getting, be able to get, that they can't get, and if you're some of these other schools, if you don't get player X, well, then you just go find player Y, and he ends up being good. Like, for instance, in in the advantage for BYU, Ben Olsen comes home from a mission, leaves, well, then they go get Max Hall, and Max Hall ends up being the winningest quarterback back in BYU history, so who cares that Ben Olsen didn't go to uh, stay at BYU? You got Max Hall, and Ben had his injury issues, but even if Ben had stayed healthy, you still had a really good quarterback. So you got to find ways to replace those guys in, in Provo. It's much harder now than it used to. It's always been difficult, but it's even more difficult now than it used to be uh, as far as that goes. I wanted to ask you about you know, so much speculation around Kalani Sataki. And we've listed all the things that are working against, no matter who the coach is, you fill in the blank, uh, coach, and it would be more difficult. I think that's one of the reasons Bronco left. And, you know, I don't discount the pay raise, but one of the reasons he was outspoken about the situation that they were in and they needed to get out of it. And so in my mind, you know, you can change coaches all you want, but until these other things around the program are made more conducive, to recruiting, then it's still going to be an issue no matter who the coach is. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very difficult job. To coach football at BYU is, uh, is I don't know if it's the hardest job in America, but it's it's, it's got to be in the top ten as far as just level of difficulty because of all that we've mentioned. And then you've got a fan base that expects wins. And uh, if I were to say one thing to the BYU fan base, and they might not want to hear this, it's that I think they've got to lower their expectations a little bit. Um, maybe not even a little bit, maybe a lot. I just think they've got to realize that some of this stuff is undoable and, and they're not going to have a, you know, a Utah-like season like Utah just had every year. And that maybe if they can put together a special season, one in every five years, that should be palatable. That should be uh, acceptable because of uh, all these the situation that they're in. So that, I, I would just say that, lower your expectations, and I think you'll be a little bit happier. That sounds like something PK would say. Yeah, I know my wife And did. I hope you guys don't turn that into a drop. <laughs> 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 so I see you've been on the show before, and you're aware of how it works. <laughs> and I have neighbors that are asking me, did you really say that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think that um, 
I think, well, to go back to the, your point about lowering expectations, I think BYU fan driving the car right now is like, they were good enough to go back east and beat an eight-win Tennessee team, and they beat an eight-win USC team. Okay, granted, they were both in overtimes. They had the lead against Toledo and South Florida and Hawaii. We'll give them the San Diego State loss, but they need to close out these leads on the road in the fourth quarter. They were good enough to do that. If they'd just done that, sure, somebody would complain about 10-3 and three and why they lost to San Diego State, but they'd be a 10-win team, and there'd be a different vibe. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of what I focused on in my season wrap uh, a few days after Christmas is, is they just there was a failure to finish. They just, for some reason, this team couldn't finish. It, I don't have the numbers, but it seems like that was kind of a Bronco Mendenhall specialty. His teams won a lot of close games. And uh, uh, even the year, Kalani's second year, where they went 8-4 and four, or 9-4, and four, they lost the four games by a combined eight points. So there's, there's a trend developing where they just don't seem to pull out close games like they used to uh, under Bronco. I don't know why that is, um, but but – that failure to finish. You're right. If you're right, David. If they had beaten uh, a couple of those or won a couple of those games, especially the Hawaii game at the end, I think there'd be a little bit different vibe. I think there'd be more optimism um, than uh, going into year five with Kalani and he has the new con- the contract extension and all that. But it's kind of amazing what one loss, two losses can kind of do to a season if they're losses to teams that you think you should have beaten. Yeah, and I don't want to give a pass to the coaches either, just saying, well, we can't get anybody better, so you're good enough, so you have job security, because that Hawaii loss was completely and totally inexcusable, and that third and two call was awful, and they need to be held accountable for that, and that goes on the coaches. That was just brutal, That what they did there. They needed two yards, they had two downs to get it, and the game's over. And I'm still yeah, irritated about it. Yeah, they had been running Tyler Algier. Right. Just, you know, their offensive line was was taking over the game. They had a running back that was hot. Yeah, you can point to a lot of things. That was, that was just a, a crazy, uh, strange sequence there, and, and you just kind of wonder what they were thinking. I wonder if anyone, as you talk to people, um, what the strong opinions are on this, because they travel a lot more than most college football teams. I mean, SEC teams don't even want to leave the South. And these guys are flying back east three times. They're flying out to Hawaii once. And those are largely the games that they botched at the end, the cumulative effect of all the travels and independence. Now, I guess this independent schedule, this coming season in 2020, they'll go to the Central Time Zone twice, and they won't go to the East, and they aren't scheduled for Hawaii. So maybe that'll impact. How big a problem is that? I think there's something to that. I think... uh I think it's a depth factor as well, which ties into that. They, they get tired. They they have to use their main line guys, you know, in for the entire games. Uh, they had very few blowouts. I, I know they had the UMass blowout, but um, that's a, a big part of it. Um, you know, I, I go back to the depth. And then I don't know why. Maybe it's because I cover BYU, and I that's the only team I've covered the last you know, 11, 12 years, but they just seem to get more injuries, especially injuries to key guys than, than other teams. And that, I might just be, you know, not, not out there enough and not following other teams enough, but, man, it seems like they sure have a lot of really devastating injuries to their mainline guys. Every year it seems like they have a couple that, that really, really hurt them. 
So you're down on them joining a conference? You know, I don't know with just with the with the BYU honor code and what happened last last go round when the Big Twelve was looking and Adam and some schools like Iowa State and Kansas State spoke out and or at least their government student government leaders and uh, pointed out uh, you know some of the p- political things that go on at BYU with the honor code and that. But I don't know that that uh, in this day and age of, I don't know, some of the kids, they call it the woke culture or whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know that it's just that it'll happen. Um, uh, maybe the Big 12 is obviously different than the Pac-12. I, I don't think BYU will ever, ever get in the Pac-12. I, I don't, and I think you guys probably agree with me with that, but uh, the, the Big 12 and is probably their best bet and you know, who knows, but that's just kind of my feeling. You know, I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to see him get into a Power 5 conference, but but I think it's uh, I think it's a long shot. I know the Iowa State students were having their say. I just think at the end of the day, money talks, and if Oklahoma and Texas want it to happen, then it happens. And Oklahoma is every bit as red a state as Utah. And if Oklahoma and Texas want it, somehow, I think whatever it is, you could run 100 issues out there for the Big 12. If those two want it, I bet it happens. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think those two schools are are the 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 kingpins or whatever you want to call it, and, and probably making the making the decisions. How was the recruiting then this year? You know, it was uh, pretty lackluster. I guess you would say. I think they're in the 70s. Recruiting is different the last two years now with the kind of the split signing periods. You know, we had the one in December for three days, and now uh, the first Wednesday in February. Another one comes. Um, I think it was big that BYU got a receiver named Cody Epps on the last day, um, put up great numbers uh, at a really good high school in Southern California, or I think it's Southern California, the uh, modern day. Uh, I'm not exactly yes. sure where it's at. That uh, you would Southern, probably know. That's in Southern um, California. But, uh, yeah, they, they, uh, I think that helped them a lot. But um, there's a couple kids that have committed to them that didn't sign in December uh, Bodie Schoonover from American Fork is one uh, that if they could really if they could land in February, I think uh, I think you could call it a, a pretty good class. They got the Romney brother, the younger Romney brother that's out of Arizona that's still undecided. Um, you know, he's obviously an LDS kid that they if they got him. I, I so I think the jury's out a little bit. Um, but I think uh, if they could get these next a couple kids that had committed that are kind of wavering and didn't sign in December, I think I think you could call it a, a pretty good class. How are they going to do with transfers? Because there's been a lot of talk about the weighting of recruiting classes has got to reflect transfers. I know sitting there in the Alamo Bowl blowout with nothing else to do in the fourth quarter and having the two deep or the entire roster in front of me, I counted it up. The youths have 12 transfers, and I think that's becoming common. Obviously, BYU landed two running backs this past year. How are they doing there? Yeah, uh, you know, I haven't heard much from Kalani about it, but Jeff Grimes, uh, before the bowl game, I talked to him, and he, he said, yeah, definitely, we, we'd like to do what we did last year. We'd like to get one running back, maybe two, out of the transfer portal, uh, especially one, the fifth-year transfers that are uh, immediately eligible. Uh, we'd like to get probably a receiver. Uh, I'm, I'm banging that drum a lot. I, I they need a receiver. They need a, a playmaker-type receiver like the year they got Jordan Leslie. Um, they lose Oliva Hifo and 
and um, Talon Shumway and Micah Simon, three guys that you know basically got better and better and were pretty good as seniors. So they lose those three. They got Gunnar Romney coming back, and he kind of has been hit and miss, hasn't really re- kind of lived up to the billing maybe that he had out of high school. Um, but other than that, they don't really have much um, at receiver. So I think that's the position where they really need to find a, a guy that can come in and make a difference right away. He's Jay Drew. He covers BYU football for the Deseret News. Jay, thanks for a few minutes this morning. Okay, guys. Thanks for having me on again. Jay Drew. Check him out at the D News.